the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Best Fiends. You guys know how much I love playing Best Fiends. And I know if you've been playing too, then you absolutely agree. It's the perfect palate cleanser after I've spent the day writing the show and gives me a much needed break without any of the stress. It's my chance to clear my mind and have a little fun while still keeping my brain engaged. It's a fun and casual game filled with puzzles to keep everyone entertained. I am now on level 365, which doesn't seem like that big of a jump, but that's because my son got a hold of it and thinks it's his game to play now. One of the best parts of this game is that it doesn't require internet. So no internet, no problem. My favorite time to play is just before bed. I lay down, turn down the lights, and play a couple levels to wind down before drifting off to sleep. The game updates each month with new levels and challenges, so there's always a ton of new stuff to do, and you never lose interest. Not just that, but you can connect and play with friends from all over and create a fun little challenge of your own. It's the perfect way to have fun with your friends while still social distancing. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect a ton of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Remember, that's friends without the R, Best Fiends. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, the they found the telephone and electricity lines. The weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Cop of murder. When you think of a serial killer, you think of a creepy looking man who, if you saw walking on the sidewalk, you would cross the road to avoid. 
We know this isn't always the case, but it's the image our mind likes to conjure. On October 11th, 1973, a boy was born who would, when identified as the slasher of Warwick, shock the world with his innocent baby face. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Citizens of Warwick, Rhode Island were shocked to hear about the brutal slaying of 27-year-old Rebecca Spencer in July of 1987. She was found dead in her living room, stabbed 58 times with a packing knife that was lying amongst the boxes in her home. At the time of her death, she was preparing to move from the neighborhood. The tragic event sparked a large investigation, but within a few months, the trail went cold and would remain that way just over two years. On September 4, 1989, a worried Marie Bouchard went to check on her daughter and granddaughters in the Buttonwoods area of Warwick after not hearing from them over the holiday weekend. When she entered the home, she was met with a gruesome sight. There was her daughter, 39-year-old Joan Heaton, lying underneath blood-soaked sheets in the hallway, stabbed 57 times. Nearby was her oldest daughter, 10-year-old Jennifer, who had been stabbed 62 times, and her 8-year-old daughter, Melissa, who, in addition to being stabbed 30 times, had her skull crushed. When coroners got a hold of the bodies, they determined that the family had been murdered on September 1st, three days before their discovery. They were able to determine that the stabbing was so frenzied and brutal that the handles broke off of the knives, the blades still stuck inside of the bodies. As police began canvassing the streets and neighbors padlocked their doors, investigators noticed the striking similarity between the Heaton's murders and that of Rebecca Spencer. Not only how similar they were, but how close together. The Heaton residence was only a few yards from the home of Rebecca, leading them to speculate, was the Warwick slasher a member of their community? The day after the Heaton women were found, police were canvassing the neighborhood when they saw a familiar face. Craig Price, a 15-year-old boy known for his occasional petty burglaries and thefts and who one of the officers once coached in basketball, was called over and asked if he had seen anything out of the ordinary in the last few days, as he lived just a few doors down. As he explained that he hadn't, the officer noticed a large slice on his hand and asked if he was okay. He said he was and that he accidentally cut it up when he punched through a car window. Thinking it was odd that he admitted to vandalizing a car to police, they made a note in their report to investigate his story. They found that there was no police report filed and, when checking the location, found no evidence of a break-in. They put him on the list of suspects, but found it hard to believe that a 15-year-old could commit such a heinous crime. And if the two murders were in fact committed by the same perpetrator, that would have made Craig 13 at the time of Rebecca's murder. They continued to work the theory as evidence began showing up that further implicated the young teen. Things such as the presence of a bloody size 13 shoe print, the same as Craig's, testimony that he was in a gang that were known to burglarize homes in the areas of both murders, and that he boasted about killing Rebecca Spencer. He was brought in for a polygraph and asked how he hurt his hand. All of this was enough to obtain a warrant and police knocked on the family's door on September 17th. While searching the shed, they found trash bags full of incriminating evidence, bloody knives, and items from both households. They arrested Craig Price, who had to be woken up for the search and seemed unaffected by his arrest. Once in custody, Craig willingly gave police any information they wanted. 
He explained each murder in detail, said he was high when he killed the Eatons, mimicking the dying sounds of the young girls, explained how his hand slipped on the bloody knife injuring his hand, and explained that exposure to racism as a young child was his motive for murdering four white women. He said all of this while his mother sat next to him and sobbed uncontrollably. With his confession, Craig Price became the youngest serial killer in U.S. history, a fact that he later bragged about, stating he would, quote, make history when he was released. And if you're thinking there was no way he would walk free, the trial and conviction would say otherwise. Because of his age, Craig was tried as a minor, meaning he would be released, record sealed, when he was just 21 years old. He would be out in five years and free to kill again. The law was on his side and he knew it. So officials vowed to make it as difficult as possible for him to walk free. They worked to change the laws, making a life sentence for minors an option during the sentencing. And while they successfully passed the law, it did not apply retroactively to Craig. So they would have to get creative if they wanted to keep him behind bars. And honestly, Craig didn't help his case much. He refused to undergo further psychological testing, fearing it would lengthen his sentence. But his refusal itself allowed a contempt of court charge in 1994, a charge that, when heard, sent him into a violent rage as he threatened a corrections officer. This added an extortion charge. He was found guilty, delivered a rambling diatribe about how he paid his dues, and was only being prosecuted because of his race, and received another 15 years on his sentence, just before his scheduled release. The refusal to be tested got him another year, fights in prison led to assault charges, and the state then filed a violation of parole charge while Craig was still in prison. In 2004, he was transferred to a Florida facility due to violent tendencies, and was denied parole in March of 2009. Just a few months later, he got into a fight with an inmate that ended with an officer being injured by a handmade shank. He was transferred yet again. In April of 2017, he was accused of stabbing a fellow inmate and in January of 2019, was sentenced to an additional 25 years for the crime. He is now classified as a habitual offender and if he is ever released, he will serve 10 years of parole. If he violates this, he will be sent back to prison indefinitely. It is unclear when and if Craig Price will ever be released, but it is clear that the system is working hard to keep him in prison and away from innocent people. He is suspected in a few other unsolved Rhode Island cases, and I have a feeling if a release date grows near, these cases may just put him away again, this time for life. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on October 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.